Welcome to Raising OKC Kids, Conversations with Metro Family in Oklahoma City. I'm Erin Page, and today I am thrilled to be joined by Miss Oklahoma, Ashley Robinson, to talk about her platform of inclusion, the importance of representation, and how we can support our public school teachers. Welcome, Ashley. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to be sharing more about myself and about being a teacher and especially about inclusion. Well, as I already mentioned, my kids were very jealous that I was getting to interview you today. So I've, I, I got to do a good job here to represent my kids well, because they're huge fans. Well, I'm, I'm thankful and excited and um, know that I'm a big fan of your kids too. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ashley. So before we dive in, I want to tell our listeners a bit more about you. Ashley was crowned Miss Oklahoma in 2021. Her social impact initiative and life passion is a platform of inclusion. Ashley advocates for a culture shift in our communities to include those with intellectual and developmental disabilities in opportunities for education, employment, and social engagement. Ashley is a seventh grade English language arts teacher at FD Moon Middle School in Oklahoma City Public Schools. She was named OKCPS District Rookie Teacher of the Month in March, 2021. She's a graduate of Edmond Public Schools and Oklahoma City University, where she studied at the Bath School of Music. Ashley, first, I'd love to hear more about your platform of inclusion. Why is this such a priority for you personally? This is kind of a dual answer for me. I identify as a person of color. I am half black and half white, and I recognize that inclusivity is definitely something that I see within my own life when it comes to people of color and um, that sort of thing, but also because I have a younger sister named Danielle who has Down syndrome, and I've seen the impact of not only being a person of color, but having a disability on the opportunities in life that she has and the way people interact with her. Absolutely, and um, Danielle is a really incredible young woman. Um, I, I'll say too, my kids are big fans of her <laughs> as well. And we have had the opportunity at Metro Family to interview her about the value of inclusion and all the ways that she too is advocating for inclusion in our community. I definitely love that. Most of the time people call Danielle and other adults with special needs um, self-advocates because I, I see that that is definitely something Danielle does and that most people with disabilities are capable of doing if we just give them the chance. So yes, I consider her a self-advocate for sure. So great. Ashley, what are some specific ways your platform as Miss Oklahoma has allowed you to advocate for inclusivity in our state? And what's your vision for what you hope to accomplish and inspire in the future? The kind of tagline that I always use when it comes to my mission as Miss Oklahoma is to create inclusive communities in every corner of Oklahoma. And the platform of being Miss Oklahoma has given me the opportunity to be the person advocating when Danielle is not allowed in the room or not allowed a seat at the table. People see the shiny crown and sash and are attracted to it because it's exciting. And an adult with a disability is not always exciting to people. And so I love having the opportunity to 
go and speak to anyone from as young as a kindergartner. I was just in McAllister the other day speaking to a school of all kindergartners, like 140 kindergartners, all the way up to business leaders in Oklahoma City at the Rotary Clubs and Greater Chamber of Commerce and that sort of thing, speaking to people all across the board about the importance of inclusion and how we can apply that in our own personal lives, whether that be being a friend to another student at school or being a business leader and hiring someone with a disability because after high school graduation, people with intellectual and developmental disabilities remain unemployed 80% of the time. And that's our responsibility as adults, as business leaders, as people who spend money in communities to put money behind businesses and places that are promoting inclusion and are actively hiring and actively being a part of becoming an inclusive community. That was such a shocking statistic to me when I first heard that, that 80% of adults with intellectual or developmental disabilities do not have employment. Um, and we'll give a plug for Not Your Average Joe, which is doing such a, a beautiful, incredible job of employing adults with disabilities. And the other thing I really love about the organization is that they are pairing um, typically typical adults or typically developing teens with those who are working for them who have disabilities. And it's a really beautiful partnership, I think, to see, um, as, as a community, uh, as a business leader, what they're doing, but also just as a mom to be able to take my kids there and for them to have the experience to see firsthand the value in a business that does employ those with disabilities. I agree. I love so much that's going on at Not Your Average Joe. Danielle has loved working there for the past three years now. She just had her higher anniversary the other day and not only just that they're giving them, you know, people with intellectual and developmental disabilities um, the opportunity to work, but that it is a minimum wage and more job. They're not falling under the typical idea of employment for people with disabilities that are making cents on the hour at times um, because they aren't seen as, you know, full employees. So I am, of course, super passionate about Danielle having a job and especially one at a place like Not Your Average Joe that sees them for their full capabilities and their full value. Ashley, what are some things that parents can be doing in our homes to really model and also talk with our kids about the importance of inclusion? One thing that I always say that my parents helped us do and helped us become more inclusive people outside of just seeing Danielle um, in our homes was making sure that they told us that regardless of our lot in life, we were capable of things and we could achieve whatever we set our minds to and that it extended past us. It wasn't just us that could achieve anything because we were these sparkly golden children. It was everybody. It was Danielle who had a disability. It was the students that I teach at FD Moon that don't have the same resources that I did as a kid. Um, and it's, you know, kids that have tons of resources that maybe don't feel as supported emotionally. Um, you know, everyone is capable of anything they set their mind to, and they may need a little bit of help. And it's important for us to see that, you know, we should help those around us, but that we're all capable of things. And teaching empathy at home is really important. And that, of course, that, you know, the idea and the phrase of, you know, my broken arm doesn't make your band-aid feel any 
worse or better or anything along those lines. Um, but recognizing that just because you have a broken arm doesn't mean that someone in a Band-Aid isn't hurting. And just because you have a Band-Aid doesn't mean that you shouldn't be aware of someone with a broken arm as well. Um, it's always good to be cognizant of those around you. It's good to be empathetic. Um, differences make us better and we are better together in every way. That's beautiful, Ashley. Those are this great advice for parents to be talking with our kids about at every age. One of the other things I've heard you speak about is the power and importance of representation, not just in the pageantry world, although that is important, but in our daily lives too, that when kids see someone who looks like them succeeding, that can encourage and inspire them. How have you witnessed this through pageantry, through your students and out in the community? Personally, I can speak to the fact that I always watched Miss Oklahoma and Miss America and that sort of thing and never thought that that was something that I was meant to do or that it was a space that I was going to fit into. And in 2017, I went to Miss Oklahoma and watched Triana Brown get crowned. And I sat there thinking to myself, okay, these girls are all amazing. They're doing such great things this is great. And then I saw her get crowned and said, oh my gosh, wait, I could be one of those girls because she looked a lot like me. And at the time she was only the third person in the organization's 100 year history to be crowned as a black woman. And so that was a really big deal to me to see her crowned and to see a space taken up by someone who looked like me. And I could immediately tell that I then felt empowered to do the same exact thing. And sure enough, there I go. I go and become Miss Oklahoma and I get to travel across the state and talk with young girls that walk up to me and say, we have the same nose and you're brown just like me. And I you know, could cry thinking about it because I didn't have that when I was younger. Um, but even outside of that, as an educator, when I was in college, I had the opportunity to kind of evaluate my educational experience and count the educators of color that I had from my entire lifetime on one hand. And that's not to say I didn't have a fabulous education. And that's not to say that my educators weren't culturally competent because I loved my education. I had so many fabulous teachers that were so invested in me regardless of their color or my color. Um, but I, again, didn't think that education was going to be something that was going to be a career for me. And going into college, I was encountering more students that were saying that they didn't feel like their teachers really understood them and could see potential in them past school hours um, and could see the importance of their dreams past their teachers dreams for them. Um, because sometimes we put students in a box that they don't want to be in. And so that kind of inspired my career into education because I wanted to speak to students and speak life into the students that I saw and believed in their dreams. And I had colleagues that would say, oh, all these kids just want to be rappers and they want to be, um, you know, football players or, you know, models. And I said, well, somebody's got to be those things. And, you know, it takes work to get there. And whether or not they actually achieve that, it's not our job to tell them that they can't. And I've seen that within the relationship with my students that they feel like I believe in them. They feel like 
I am in them and they are in me. Um, and I see that across the board. I also have been able to encourage representation um, for all types of abilities in my class as well. And I really appreciate that. Such a powerful story, Ashley, and your your journey to becoming a teacher, um, how you volunteered at the school beforehand, and then hearing what you just talked about, about feeling like education might not be a space for you. Um, it's just such a powerful part, I think, of who you are. Tell us more about that decision when you decided that education could be a space for you and um, how you kind of ultimately made the decision to become a teacher. My path to education is a little unconventional and um, I even was talking with a friend from college right as I decided to become a teacher. He asked me, oh, what are you doing these days? And I said, I'm gonna go be a teacher. And he said, well, they'll really let anybody do that these days because <laughs> Oklahoma does not have the, the greatest reputation when it comes to education, which is unfortunate, but we're working on it. So I went to college for music, um, kind of as you said, I went to OCU and I studied music and singing and that sort of thing. And I dabbled in nonprofit work while I was in college as well, because I was recognizing um, how, and I say needy, that sounds bad. I was going to say how needy some of our communities are, and I don't mean it in a bad way. I just recognize that there are needs that aren't being met, and it's not by any fault of their own, but it's it's by fault of the lack of resources in our communities for certain things. And at the time, my passion was the arts, and I started working at um, a nonprofit that was fundraising for the arts in Oklahoma, and was realizing it was a really corporate setting and I wasn't getting much exposure um, to diversity much at all. And realized that, um, you know, now as a young woman of color in, in the corporate world, I didn't see a lot of myself. And I knew that when I was younger, I didn't see a lot of people to look up to. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, I need, now that I'm an adult, I need to be that adult for other kids. I need to be the person that they can look up to and they can see themselves in. Um, and whether or not they want to be just like me and do the exact same things that I'm doing, or I inspire them to just follow their own dreams, I want to, I want to make sure I'm doing that. So I started volunteering through a program called Freedom City, and they had kind of a mentor program and reading buddy program. When I was growing up, I was always the kid that had a book in my hand and my parents when I was in like the fourth or fifth grade, one of their ways to punish me was taking my bookshelf out of my room because I was reading all the time. <laughs> and so when I saw the opportunity to be a reading buddy and a lunch mentor for these students, I was like, oh my gosh, this is great. So I started volunteering once a week by going and having lunch with the students, often bringing boxes of books with me from when I was their age. This was middle school. And so it was, you know, sixth, seventh and eighth graders. And I found it being part of my week that I could look forward to. And as time went on, it wasn't just, oh, this is something fun that I'm doing. It was the thing I was looking forward to in the middle of my week. And then I was going more than once a week and wanting to spend time with these students more and more, hearing the heartbreaking stories of their home life, of their personal defeats at school, um, of their bad interactions with teachers um, that maybe had been a little um, jaded after years of being a public educator in Oklahoma. Um, and 
found myself thinking about them nonstop. So after working for my year in, in the corporate world, I went and um, decided to spend a little bit more time with the kids and talked with the administration about going and getting my certification so that I could become a teacher. And um, by that fall, I was handing out books every day instead of just at lunch, making sure that they were getting their reading assignments done and inspiring kids every day to believe in themselves and follow their own dreams. I can't even imagine how cool it would be to have you as a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> and then the kids would walk in and go, they would, you know, be acting crazy, acting crazy about something. And someone would hit them and say, stop, Miss Robinson's the cool one. We don't want her to not like us anymore. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it. Um, you mentioned that being a, a public school teacher has allowed you to advocate for inclusivity in that space. How has your time as a teacher informed your feelings more about inclusivity and, and what's needed in public education? I had been familiarized with the idea of an IEP, an individualized education plan, because of growing up with Danielle and always hearing my mom talk about going to IEP meetings. And it wasn't until I became a public educator that I got to sit in on IEPs and got to be the teacher advocate for some of my students, but also to hear families talk about their goals for their kids and the struggles that their kids are dealing with. One thing that I've learned is that often a student does have goals that they don't think they can articulate to us, or maybe they don't have the capacity to communicate those goals for themselves um, at their IEP meetings in the first place. Um, so it's been so interesting to be involved in that process and to be able to implement inclusive IEPs and encourage inclusive IEPs instead of segregated IEPs and making sure that students of all abilities, whether it be physical, intellectual, developmental, or any other type of um, ability, they are encouraged to promote themselves in whatever capacity that they are comfortable with. Um, I had a student that was um, Part of hearing and had hearing loss in one of his ears and I tried to utilize his IEP that I had um, been a part of to get him to move toward a better seat in the class so he could hear better and he came to me after class one day and said Miss Robinson I have a hearing aid I can hear you fine it's embarrassing to sit that close to you <laughs> and so one of his goals was to be able to sit by his friends and you know work on communicating and that sort of thing. And I was happy to do that. But if he hadn't felt comfortable telling me that, I think that he probably would have just sat in the seat and either been mad or, you know, not sat in the seat and get in trouble for not sitting in his assigned seat and that sort of thing. So it's definitely interesting to be a part of learning about, you know, the differences in IEPs and that Danielle's experience through IEPs are going to be a lot different to another students and as they should be because they're individualized. I love that you obviously have created um, an environment in your classroom where kids are comfortable advocating for themselves with you. I think that's so encouraging and so important that kids feel that level of comfort and support to be able to ask for exactly what they need. I think it's really important because I, as an English teacher, um, the thing that I most prioritize is their ability to communicate um, in a written form in a speaking form and 
part of communication is understanding other people's writing as well. And I really emphasize that to my students that, you know, you need to be able to clearly communicate yourself and clearly understand other people's communication. And part of that means speaking up for yourself, um, whether that be, you know, if you need an extension on a paper because you have something going on at home, you're free to communicate that to me. Um, whether or not, you know, you're having something that's going to be an issue in class with another student, you know, it's communicating that to me and figuring out a way to communicate through that with the other student um, and so on and so forth. So I, I see that as a vital tool of making a comfortable classroom for students to feel like they can advocate for themselves. But also the thing that people always ask me is, you know, how do you create an environment like that past just, you know, it being an English class that people feel like they can tell stories. And I talk about that I am vulnerable with my own experiences and that I communicate my own needs to them. If I say, hey, Miss Robinson's having a hard day, maybe let's be a little nicer to her, <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, you know, they feel like they can communicate that to me right back. That's such, that's such great advice and such good things for parents to remember too, um, especially during a, a wild time in all of our lives over the past two years. I know I've had to do that with my kids, especially when I was there. Um, not very great virtual school teacher on those <laughs> virtual days. You know, mom is struggling right now. And um, I'm not sure that mom is the best person to do third grade math with you <laughs> or whatever it is. And um, kids are so, when given the opportunity, I think kids are so empathetic and understanding. And, um, but it does oftentimes require us as the adults to get vulnerable and share our feelings with them. Exactly. At Metro Family, we have done lots of reporting on and interviewing teachers about the state of public education. I know so many of the teachers I've talked with are overwhelmed and burned out, understandably, right now. What do you think our educators and public schools need most from parents and the community? Mm. That's a really hard question because honestly, I think it changes by area. And that's one thing that I've learned as Miss Oklahoma, having traveled pretty much the entire state, it feels like, except for the panhandle, I'm still waiting to go to the panhandle. But um, I've traveled much of the state now and have had the opportunity to be an inner city Title I educator, but also go and visit really rural communities and and the in-betweens of, you know, some schools with a ton of resources and zero diversity and some schools with, you know, 40 students in one grade um, and hardly any resources, but lots of one-on-one -on -one attention for their students. Um, that by school, it really differs what their needs are. And by teacher, it really differs what their needs are because as, at the time, a 22-year-old that was going into virtual teaching pretty much immediately because the pandemic was going on, I recognized that I did not need technology help because I was very familiar with a computer and how to handle multiple tabs at a time with my files up and my Zoom class and all those other things. Um, but there were other teachers that had been teaching for 35 years that weren't so familiar with Zoom and needed a lot of assistance when it came to, you know, teaching virtually. Similarly, when we got back into the classroom, 
I had zero in-person experience at the time and needed a ton of help with behavioral management that the 35 veteran teachers were able to help me out with. So it is very interesting to hear the varying experiences of not just educators, but schools and um, you know, some of the schools that didn't feel like they needed to shut down during the pandemic because, you know, they had such a small student body that they could just wear masks and that sort of thing um, to, you know, Oklahoma City public schools that were shut down for the majority of two years. So it's definitely interesting to hear, similar to the idea of an individualized education plan, individualized education experiences um, that, you know, it's just interesting to hear, that's all I'll say. <laughs> um, and it's important that teachers and educators and parents feel empowered to find the resources they specifically need to be successful because what looks different for each person is going to help them be successful. Um, you know, having a technology class isn't gonna be super helpful for me, but it would be for another teacher. And having, you know, some sort of, funding for specific things is going to be really helpful for one school, but not so helpful for another school. Um, so it's definitely, definitely important for teachers, parents, students, educators in general, um, just to feel empowered and whether or not that be through funding, through state funding, through community support, um, if that means you know, like I said, creating environments where parents feel like they can go and talk to teachers um, and teachers can talk to parents where parents are available to have feedback about their students. Um, I think there's a little bit of lack of public trust in educators in some ways with all of the talks of, you know, banning books and critical race theory and taking funding away from, you know, public schools to put toward private vouchers. It just seems as an educator that there's a little bit of a lack of trust in our public educators. Um, so, you know, making sure that we're supporting our teachers and telling that we trust them with our kids. Um, you know, if you do have kids in public school, make sure you're encouraging your teachers. And um, at the end of the day, we all want our students to succeed because I am firmly a believer that students and kids are the future of our communities. And that's why I am so passionate about being an educator and telling them about being inclusive, um, no matter what, race or ability you have and making sure that everyone, like I said, feels empowered to make those individualized choices and individualized um, plans for resources. I think there, um, one of the other things I've heard from teachers is just what you said, kind of that lack of trust, lack of respect that um, has been growing uh, for a long time, but specifically over the past couple of years. And um, I think, again, back to empathy is so important um, for parents in particular to have for our teachers that um, are did not expect <laughs> all the things over the last couple of years um, and have still managed to teach our kids. Um, it may not be what we expected. It may not be what we as parents all the time think is the, the best or the right way to do it, but I know I've got to check myself and think they are the experts and, and my kids are in great hands because they are the ones who, who know how to get my kids from point A to point B, whether we're in a pandemic or not. <laughs> yes, I, even having only been 
in the classroom with students for one year, I feel like I've grown as a potential parent so much because I understand so much of what goes on at schools. And I've seen how hard teachers work, even if students don't see it all the time and they don't appreciate it all the time. I definitely see it. And I have so much more empathy for my poor teachers that had to teach me when I was going through my seventh grade phase because I was, you know, learning about being a seventh grade teacher. Now is not always the easiest thing. So I definitely, definitely appreciate what all of the other educators have done, especially, you know, the educators that lifted me up to, to be the person I am today as well. Such a great reminder for all of us. Um, listen, listen to our public educators and what their needs are and try to meet those um, the best we can, because we certainly, whether we've got kids in school right now or not, all have a responsibility um, to support the education of the next generation of, of Oklahomans. As we wrap up today, Ashley, as you have had the opportunity to travel the state and really the nation to represent Oklahoma, what is giving you hope right now? That's a great question. There are so many things that give me hope. And I am not in general, you know, someone who is in lack of hope. I am a firm believer in people and I'm a firm believer in the opportunities around us to choose to include, to be better than we were the day before. And maybe I'll just say that people give me hope. Um, that sometimes they don't, I'll be honest, <laughs> sometimes um, the lack of empathy and the lack of inclusion really make me sad. Um, but the way that I've been able to experience different people and different things, um, they all give me hope every day. And Danielle gives me hope. She is an incredible bright young woman. And every single day I've seen her overcome something, whether it be the expectations of those around her, whether it be her own expectations for herself, pushing herself past something that she thought she couldn't do to prove that she can, um, or my students that defy every odd um, to get to school in the morning. And um, the students that I get to speak to across the state that prove to me that they can be the future of Oklahoma um, and that they will be the ones to create inclusive communities and a, and a better state at the end of the day. Thank you so much for that, Ashley. Um, I know you are giving a lot of people hope right now. Um, it is inspiring to hear your message. It's inspiring to watch you advocate for inclusion around our state at a time when sometimes, like you said, it feels like there's not as much hope in that space as we would like, um, but watching watching your journey and the way you're inspiring everyone, but kids in particular is just so powerful. Thank you so much for all the time and energy that you are putting into your platform. Thank you so much for the opportunity to come and talk to you. I know that I get to, I get to travel a lot and I get to talk a lot, but every opportunity is like an opportunity to, like I said, make, make a better state. So thank you so much for having me and thank you all the parents that are listening and um, doing your best to, to make your kids better and make our communities better to your kids. It takes all of us for sure. It takes a village to raise this next generation, but you've given me hope today, Ashley. So thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. Thanks everyone for listening. Join us next time on Raising OKC Kids.